This episode is recorded on Jar Jar Wurrung country, and we want to pay our respects to the original creatives of this land and their elders past, present and future. Welcome back to another episode of Country Creatives. We're your hosts, Reese Hendy and Caleb Maxwell. Hey and guys. Yeah, we've got a really cool episode coming in today. It might be a bit tough to get through, Caleb. We're cool. touching on some really tough conversation topics. Is it going to be a tough conversation? I don't think we've ever had a tough conversation, you and I, Reese. Well, not maybe <laughs> not between, between us. the two of us, but um, <laughs> we've probably had a few in business. Oh, we've had so many. So I'm hoping it's going to be a really impactful conversation between us unpacking a few stories that of really tough conversations or tough topics to talk about because everyone, no matter what their journey is or what stage they're in, they're going to be dealing with people, right? And when you're dealing with people, you are inevitably going to have tough conversations. Yeah, especially in business, you know, there's money involved, there's projects where people have sort of skin in the game, they're invested in their product, they're mm. paying you to do something for them, yep. you know, and also as creatives, there's a bit of creative ego that comes into the mix as well. So we're going to touch on a few of those things, as well as a few tips on the kind of tips that we've thought about over time through our learnings, we've got some examples of when we have failed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got lots of fails. Um, but there's some really good ones, and I think you'll be able to pull some uh, little gold nuggets out of it so you don't make the same mistakes. Mm, yeah, and then we've got a few questions that we're going to ask each other to figure out maybe how we would approach a few situations. So why don't we get stuck into it, Caleb? Now, we're going to talk about a project that you've been through before. We're not mm. going to talk about the client's no, name. No. But um, tell me about this project and why it was a bit of a fail and why there were tough discussions and, you know, what Ugh. made it hard and how did you get through it? Man, this was such a learning moment for me. There were so many things that played into this ego, all sorts of stuff. But righto. So this is – I'll paint the picture for you. It was an interview-based video project and we had a few people we were interviewing met with the client and they're like yep this is kind of what we want to promote this is what we want to do and I was like great let's interview these people it's going to be really cool we'll hear their stories we'll end up with a few different videos hearing these really great stories and that'll be that so kind of like testimonial style interviews yeah yeah that was yeah personal experience we these days we call them uh client success stories uh, but they're just people's stories, right? Testimonials are so old school. Ah, uh, boring. <laughs> <laughs> so we interview these people in, in this space and it's great. We hear their little journey. But then in the background, like my contact with the client left the company. So then I was handballed over to someone else and then they were half involved and then they passed me on to someone else. So by the time the project was finished, we'd shot it, we'd edited it, we delivered it. The person that I'm dealing with at the end is like, well, this is no good. <laughs> oh no, right. So, we, so they've been they've missed out on the whole process that oh, you've gone through. Yeah. And they've come in at the last second to review the final product. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. And we they gave to I gave them the files to review and they're like, this isn't what we want. <laughs> oh, no. It's like, what? What? <laughs> what are you talking about? So, right, this is where the challenge came. They said, this isn't what we asked for. And I said, yes, it is. 
<laughs> and my choice, this is where I went wrong, right? I was like, look, this is such an injustice. I'm in the right here. I am going to prove, <laughs> I'm going to prove that I'm right because I am. How did you go about doing that? Oh, well, well, they wanted to, I just said, look, this is, this is what happened. And they're like, well, prove it. Have you got notes? Have you got email chains? Have you got records of conversations? And I was like, oh, I've got like scribbles on a bit of paper. So I'm like taking photos of my notepad where it has unintelligible scribbles <laughs> that I'm, only I can read, sending them to them. And they're like, nah, nah, not good enough. We want like, they wanted us to like redo the entire project because they're like, well, this is no good to us and we've paid for it. You know, what made it worse is that we, I thought I'd gone above and beyond on this project and I'd over-delivered on what they'd paid for. And they came back and they're like, no, nah, we don't like it. We want you to do it again. And I wasn't prepared to do that. And really the, the main issue was that I, I felt like I needed to prove I was right. And that that was my main focus coming into all of the conversations I had with this client. And I'm not one who loves confrontation, to be honest. I've upskilled myself so that I don't have really terrible conversations because I'm at my core, I'm afraid of them. <laughs> so this was something that just ate at me. Like it was, it meant I didn't sleep. Like it kept me up at night, this disconnection and this um, confrontation I was having with this client. Cause they were like, you know, not backing down. And they were like, it was escalating. Mm. And that's what, that's what I was doing when I was like, Hey, I don't care about what you want. I'm right. And I'm going to prove it. It just turned it into this problem that was bigger than Ben-Hur, but it probably could have been solved if I had approached it differently, right? Tell me a little bit more about how you were sort of feeling. I know probably everyone can relate to this feeling in the background when yeah. you've got a bit of confrontation and as a creative person as well, you kind of, you can get a bit stuck on, you know, sticking to your guns and yep. wanting to be like, no, no, this is good work and I mm. don't care what you say, it's it's good, <laughs> you should use it, yep. you know. I know personally I, when those kind of things pop up, when there's a bit of a client confrontation, there's a bit of anxiety that creeps Ooh, yeah. in Ooh, and that, yeah. it's always on the back of your mind and it's hard to focus on your other project work. Yeah. Yeah, is that is that the same for your yeah, experience? Definitely. That was exactly how I was feeling. I was I was anxious about it, you know, and I was I had that, you know, feeling in the pit of my stomach like my my heart was in my throat. Like it was terrible, you know, and and I don't like being out of good connection with anyone. Like I'm very relational. So these I knew these people weren't happy with me. And and <laughs> That eats away at you. It does. It eats away at me. But I, I got in, I got in a battle, and what you know, the advice I got advice from other people that were around the situation that I'd had a long-standing relationship with, and they said, "Look, you just need to, you just need to um, fix this. You just need to fix the problem." And that was such a bitter, hard pill to swallow because I was like, "But it's not my problem to fix." <laughs> when I was in the middle of it, I couldn't see that, and. What it ended up costing me was a relationship and a potential damage to the business's reputation because those people had a bad experience with me. And the cost of that far outweighs any sort of monetary or time cost that I would have uh, would have worn 
if I had have redone the project. Even if I started from scratch, it might have cost me a couple of grand maybe in time, right? Can you tell me, what, how did it end? How did this <sighs> situation end? Not well by the sounds of it. Oh, uh, yeah, not really, no. Like I ended up giving like a, I think a small refund and re-editing the videos um, to a point I thought I was happy with. That still wasn't good enough. So I think they got a credit on another project I was doing for the same company and they never used those videos. They never saw the light of day. Right. So a lot of wasted time. Yeah. Bit of so wasted money. It was actually a lose-lose situation. Like they didn't get anything out of it and I didn't get anything out of it. The people in the video didn't get anything out of it. Their customers didn't get anything out of it. It was, yeah, it was just probably the worst um, result that you could have um, dreamt of. <laughs> yeah, right. So if you were to do it again, mate, what would be, how would you approach some of those things differently when the, when it came, and it's a pretty tricky situation because you've literally been passed through three mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. people who are your yep. main contacts. So that's a challenging situation to begin with. Yep. Should we look at how you might address something yeah. like that first? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So having gone through that situation, it sticks in my mind as a potential problem that could arise if I'm passed over to another co- contact within a, a company and they haven't been in, included in the original brief. And this kind of is the same for other stakeholders, maybe a manager of, you know, your, your, your contact has final say on creative stuff, but isn't involved in the mm. concept development. That's, that is a red flag for me. Yeah, and you at least, even if that is the case, you need to know that before yeah. you start because you're gonna, yep. you're probably going to add another stage into your process, which is yes. let's sell this to the higher powers that be yeah. before we proceed yes. to video, to yes. take the videos. That's exactly right. So that's what it did. It it helped put uh, steps in our process to mitigate these type of risks. So now, if say if someone, my key contact is leaving, we'll even even go back before that. Um, everything we do is very well documented um, and not, not kind of in a cover our ass kind of way because it really, having things well documented leads to success in any given situation. Um, so, you know, we make sure that the outcome and what we're going, trying to achieve is written on paper in a proposal and how we're going to achieve that. And all of that is signed off before we start anything. Mm, your pros, your um, proposals are awesome, mate. There's Thank like you. It's not even just written on paper and sent through in like a Word doc. It's this no. proper, nicely designed PDF. And you click on the link and you've got Caleb or one of his team members on screen in a little bubble down the corner talking you through each yep. step of the process and like giving you a brief snapshot so you, don't, you hardly even have to read it. You can just listen to them <laughs> and just sort of scan read it. And you're like, yeah, well, okay, I feel comfortable. This is this is what we've already discussed. I haven't seen many people go to that length yeah. in their proposal process. Mm. Thanks, man. Yeah, we'll probably do another episode, hey, on, on how we onboard clients because I reckon mm. you've got some good processes in that department as well. But uh, coming back to the process of uh, how you don't end up in bad situations is you just make sure everything's clearly communicated. 
And then if some something happens, like someone, your contact leaves, the first thing you do is have a meeting with that new client and say, this is where we're up to. This is what we've agreed upon. Are you good to go? Like, are, are you on get everyone on the same page before you start. And it's it's only really the lack of communication that leads to tough conversations and breakdowns in communication. Funnily enough, a lack of communication <laughs> leads to bad communication. Like if you if you if something goes unsaid or anything's assumed, that will uh, undoubtedly lead to heartache. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I think that's a pretty common scenario that, that whole thing you've just said of mm. um, the bit of a battle of wills. Yep. But how do you think you could have, like, what would, what would have been a win-win in that situation? Yep. So let's tie a bow in this, right? My biggest takeaway would be sometimes you have to lose to win. And it's not being, uh, it's about not being so precious about being right that you're going to damage yourself. So you have to weigh up the risk, right? The risk in that situation was, am I going to risk a bad experience from the client, even though they're being silly and they're in the wrong? Their perception will still be bad from the experience they've had with me. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. Or am I going to risk maybe taking my ego down a couple of notches, a bit of damage to my pride and a little bit of time to fix the problem? That is not a lot really. That's that I'm going to lose if I do that. But ultimately, if I go to the client and say, hey, I hear you, I'm going to make this right. Let's fix this together. And we, I do what I need to, to fix up the, fix up the project, fix the problem. It costs me a bit of time, but ultimately you are going to win from that because even though they've had a bad experience, you've turned it around, right? You fixed the problem and it's become a good experience. And that's how you want to leave every client every person you want to leave them with them feeling like they've had a good experience yeah and also potentially um like you would have saved yourself a lot of stress and anxiety oh so much and like that's oh, a win yeah. for you yeah it is yeah if i didn't if i didn't have to have those sleepless nights and be thinking about what these people think about me and what they might do to damage the reputation all that sort of stuff if i don't even have to think about that that's a big win yeah totally projects don't always go swimmingly to plan no. like you wish they could but i think um clients I know I appreciate it if I'm hiring someone, you know, things might not go to plan, but I appreciate someone's effort and energy to just get on with it and yep. get a result. You know, yep. It might not be exactly as planned or as good as we wanted it to be, but it, as long as the energy has gone into just resolving a problem, that's often enough. Totally. Cool. Thanks for sharing that story, Caleb. We're going to jump, we're going to save my story for a little bit later. Oh yeah, we are. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a little bit of a topical one. It was in the news. I love sharing Caleb <laughs> on this podcast. So. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was uh, also a stress inducer, but Right now, let's chat about something that usually is a pretty common occurrence for inducing stress and difficult conversations, mm. especially as a creative, and it's to do with money. Great. This is an excellent topic to talk about because at, you are 100% right. It is very often a point of contention and some, something people aren't comfortable talking about and don't have a process, don't have language. And it can lead, if you don't talk about it, like I said earlier, if you don't talk about it well, it will lead to problems. And there's a couple of um, key words here. I'm just looking at our very professional notes that we made pre, uh, <laughs> pre-recording and scope mm. and money go, mm. scope and budget maybe I should say, yeah. they go very closely together. And that's yep. probably, I think for me, 
using some of these other words helps to talk about it because it's not just yeah. like pay me this much. No, no, You can yeah. start to frame it up in a really professional way where it just runs off a lot smoother and you just feel professional and, and their response often when you step it up a level is a much better response. Like they're not falling yep. off their chair when you just <laughs> throw a figure at them. You know, like you said with your documentation before, all of that helps to make the discussion easier. Yep. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how we make it easy. Do you have any tips initially, Caleb, on how, what your process does to make that discussion a bit easier? So we're talking about um, when you have that initial conversation with a client about how much it's going to cost to engage your services. And I think as you were speaking there, one thing that came to mind, the very first thing you need to do is uh, remove the uh, payment side of things from you personally. Because that can be where you feel awkward, right? You're, you're saying, I am worth myself, me, I am worth this amount of money or my time and services, what I'm going to do personally is worth this much. And, you know, you can easily link that to, you know, if I'm more talented, I'm worth more, you know, the perception of, of the output and how valuable that is. So if you remove the, the payment side of things and the money side of things from your own value and you're saying, I'm producing something for you and the the value is connected to what I'm producing and the output I'm giving you, then it, it becomes a lot easier to talk about. So how we do it is I say, what do you want to achieve? What do you want to get out of uh, our working relationship? And once that's defined, I, I say, okay, so have you contributed, contributed a a certain budget towards achieving that goal. In that framing it like that with that language, it's not like how much are you going to pay me? It's how much is this output? How much is this thing worth to you? How much is this uh, problem worth to you to solve? Or how much do you want? Have you committed anything already? And I can easily say that. It's, that's easy now to go to a client and say, have you committed any budget towards this already? Do you have an idea of how much you want to spend on this? And then they say, inevitably, they're going to say, oh, oh let me guess, let okay, me guess. Yeah, they, go. Go, they say, oh, well, um, I don't really know how much this kind of stuff costs. So can you just tell me what the price would be? <laughs> and this is the little little dance you get oh, into, right? No, I don't. It's so <laughs> awkward, but, you know, you get there in the end. Yeah, yeah. So this is – I've. I've thought about this a lot <laughs> and I've experienced it a lot and I'm really good at it now. So I go, yeah, sure. Like I can definitely give you uh, some examples um, of what this kind of thing has generally cost people in the past, like what, what kind of work we've done similar. My default line is I say, look, most of the projects that we do are around the ten dollars to $20,000 range. Is there somewhere in there that feels kind of more comfortable to you? Is Does that fit with your uh, expectation? And then I just leave it open. What are, you know, what would you say next if that you were the client, Reese? Well, it depends on what kind of client I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> say you've got a predetermined figure in mind because everyone, it, generally when you're speaking to someone, they may not know, like that mm. may be genuine. They may say, look, oh, I don't know how much this costs. You tell me. But in, in at the end of the day, they're like, I know as a business, my marketing budget, I can afford $12,000 to yep. do all of these things. Yep. And maybe my expectations are wrong. I can only do half the amount of stuff that I actually yeah. want to do. Yep. But I know that I've got, a, uh, yeah, everyone, I don't go into many situations without knowing like, all right, well, I can't stretch the budget further than this yeah. because that's literally all I've got. To Everyone's play got a number, right? And they're generally not going to tell you. 
right up front if you just say how much you're going to spend because their expectation is or are you just going to base your price on how much I've got and Mm. could I get it cheaper if I don't tell you what the price is? But the reality is you need to know what budget they've got so that you can work out how much energy and resources and time you're going to commit to it. You need to know what you're going to play with, right? That's actually the way I phrase it a lot of the time because I know video is probably maybe a little bit more understood than, say, murals and just visual art Mm -hmm. um, in some situations. And there's not always as much of a marketing payoff as, say, a video that they know it's going to go on socials and hit X amount of eyeballs. You know, art can be a little bit more little bit more mysterious for a corporate client. Yep. Um, but I'll often say like, look, I need to know your budget because if it's if it's $2,000, we can do this small area that we can paint. But if you've got $10,000, we'll do a press release, we'll go this big, we'll get an established artist. you got 20000 oh, look, we're going to like, this is going to be national news, you know. Like <laughs> yeah. You yeah. can scale your, the project up and down depending on the budget they have. So That's exactly right. And if you don't know what that budget is, you might come up with the best creative idea that you want to do. And then you come back to them and you say, and you give them the pitch and you're like, it's going to cost $20,000. And you've put all this work and creative energy into coming up with this great idea. And they go, oh, oh, sorry. Oh, we've, we've only got $5,000. Um, do you reckon you could just do it for a bit cheaper? Same thing. I love the idea, but could you just do it cheaper? Mm. And then you get into that really bad trap. Everyone's been there, I'm sure, where you go, oh, oh um, well, maybe I could just, let's see if I can shave some some budget mm. off somewhere. And then you end up doing this amazing thing and working for free because mm. you, your expenses are, are, are larger than what you're making. <laughs> it's really hard to shave, like especially off a really good idea, I've got this really good idea, but I've got to shave it down to the bare minimum. It doesn't. <laughs> no, it that stops doesn't becoming work. a good idea. Yeah, it just becomes exactly a half right. baked, or you're yeah. putting in more than what you're charging. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. And you, there becomes this disparity, potential disparity with the out, the output and the original idea, and that's where you get into those problems where you're delivering something, and the client's like, "This isn't what you said at the start." And really, you know, what you said at the start required twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> but they've, you've had to do it in five thousand dollars, and of course it's doesn't look like what you said at the start. <laughs> so if we rewind all the way back to the start and you say, hey, uh, what kind of budget are we looking to work with here? What do I have to work with? And they say $5,000. You you put that $20,000 idea aside and you go, cool, we can work with that. All right, let's start from there. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's on the same page and you can set expectations about what's going to be achieved. And then when you achieve that, the, the client's like, yeah, cool. This is what I was expecting. Now, there this are some times, Caleb, when there's like a client literally will not tell you what their budget is. Like you cannot get it out of them. Yep. It's happened to me oh, before. Yeah. And it does become tricky because you're like, what am I coming up with here? And sometimes you just got to throw a number at them and see totally. how they yep. react. Yeah. That, and that's the that's the next level, right? So you say, say they go, yeah, I don't know, you tell me what's going to cost. And I say, look, most of our projects are, you know, 10 to 20,000. They're like, oh yeah, I don't really know. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not, you know, I still don't really know what I want to contribute to this. And you go, all right, well say, this is how I approach that. Mm -hmm. I say, okay, so um, from what we've talked about, this sounds like a $20,000 project if I was going to put uh, a $20,000 proposal to you and give it to you, how would that sit with you? 
And then they've got to tell you whether that's there's a likelihood of them saying yes to it or if there's a likelihood of them saying, no, that's too much. Mm. And it becomes easy for them to say at that point because, you know, you're asking a direct question is, is if I'm going to do this, what are you going to say about it? If I invoice you this much, will you be like, oh, shit, I can't afford that? Yeah, that's exactly right. And it gives them the opportunity to go, oh, look, we're not so comfortable, uh, like maybe like 18. If it was 18, we'd pr- probably be comfortable with that. And then you go, cool, you've got the number. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. I often have people sort of ask, oh, can you can you work up a bit of an idea for for like the two $2,000 version and then like yep. what would it be if we had an $8,000 version? Yeah. I actually find that like not overly painful. Sometimes yeah. I will go ahead and be like, look, if, if 2000 and 8000 is probably a bit of a jump, it might be a bit more like, you know, five and eight, you know, yeah. or we, yeah. we could push the budget if yep. it's really going to tick off X, Y, Z. Yep. I'm sort of happy to go, well, here are the two packages and, and here's what you'll get for this much and here's the extras you'll get for this much because yep. you can always scrap can. those extras. Totally. Yeah, building flexibility into plans is really helpful to help people uh, decide and choose, you know, what, what packages and being able to scale up or scale down is good so long as you give them those options and they're not coming to you with, all right, so this this kind of is a good segue into what we want to talk about next in terms of scope creep. So say you say, look, yeah, look, we could we could potentially scale up or scale down. You know, how about we start it at 5,000 and then halfway through or as they come in, they go, oh, you know what? Um, it's only a really little thing, but could, do you reckon you could maybe add this onto it? I mean, it probably won't take very long. Do you reckon you could just just do this extra little thing? We forgot to mention. Yeah. There's this, there's this <gasps> other bit that we forgot <laughs> yeah. that we didn't yeah. hand over in the initial brief. That's right. There's Yeah, some our, our CEOs come back to us and said, look, wouldn't it be really nice if we just had this extra little bit? Is that all right? Could you just include that? That's and they've true. already paid for it, right? What do you do? Well, it de- it does depend, like case by case. Yep. Sometimes you can go, look, that actually is a very minor ask to do that. Uh-huh. You know, it's not going to affect my workflow. But sometimes it's probably where you, you have to stick true to your process yep. and say, well, it gets a, it does become a difficult conversation. <laughs> it does. I'll tell you one, give you one perfect example in the video world. We say you've got two revisions in post-production because that, you know, that means that's how we can guarantee the price because we know two revisions will take us, you know, a certain amount of time each. So they get to their second revision and they go, great, second revision done, feedback given, changes implemented. We give it back to them for final final approval and they're like, oh, hey, we've just so shown so-and-so and they think we just need this extra shot that we didn't plan for. Do you reckon you can just, if you could just whip out and grab that and put it, put it in or even less than that, they go, yeah, we've, we've just noticed that there's a, an issue with this frame. Could you just change this little thing? That's fine, right? That's a little thing maybe with the change, just the slight change. But then you send it back to them and they go, oh, we've actually just noticed another little thing. And then before you know it, you've got five little things that have turned into a medium thing. And it's taken you X amount of time to uh, re-export the project, change the little thing, deliver it back to them. Before you know it, you've got three hours worth of time that you've spent over your budget, right? That's the risk in scope creep for us. Mm. Is that similar to you? Like, do, do, do you find it can little things lead to more little things? Yeah, well, the in the visual arts area, it's a, it's a bit 
trickier. I, I would find my scope creep being more around the um, the things around the project, like, oh, we didn't realise that we'd need a permit for this and that. Good and we, one. We didn't realise that we'd uh, we actually have to have the builder come in and, and fix this spot or... I know there's artists out there who have painted murals and people ask them to change the artwork once it's done and that's probably uh, that's that's horrendous that's huge like, yeah and um, I think a lot of artists just cop it and, and do it but uh, yeah that that's a pretty extreme kind of well how would you there. how would you tackle that situation right so someone comes to you and goes look we forgot um, there's this uh, there is this event happening and we, we'd really love like a little piece, a little PR piece written up. Can you just write something about the, the project and, and put it into a, like a media release for us? Yeah, well, it's literally I just – it's pretty straight up front at that point. I, don't, I actually don't find it too difficult at that point just to be like, look, that's a service that I provide for this much money – when yes. You need to buy it. See that? I think that's a key, right? So not getting stuck in the, oh, you know, it's a small thing. It won't take me too much time. You don't, I think the issue is that you don't want to say no. You don't want to go, look, knowing that you can do it, you don't want to say, no, I won't do it. What, the way we approach scope creep, everything is a yes, right? We can do anything, but it's going to cost you this much. And it, it turns it into a positive for the client. We, it, we're not getting stuck into a, a battle of, oh, no, we didn't agree on that. Or, you know, that's not part of the project. It's a yes, of course we can do that, but it's going to have these consequences. It's going to push out the deadline. It's going to cost you another 150 bucks an hour. Yes, we can do it. Whatever you want to do, because you are the client and you are paying for this and we're here to support your vision that's the attitude we come to with <laughs> it doesn't sound like a tough dis discussion to have at all mate no it doesn't if you're comfortable talking about money yeah that's right that's right because if you're not comfortable talking about money you're like oh but you know maybe their finances are tight and they don't have any more money well that's not your problem is it <laughs> <laughs> like all you can do is say, yes, I can definitely do that for you. And my time is valuable. And this is how much it's going to cost you. And then you just give, you know, you leave it up to them. Yeah. I think that the tough, when it becomes a really tough discussion about scope creep is to do with, it's when you don't really have a plan in place Ooh, or you, don't, you actually haven't developed the scope yeah. properly to yeah. begin with. And I think that's when it becomes a tough discussion and it actually happens. I think, I think that there's probably a lot of things that slip in. You're like, oh, you know, I even I had a scope marked out, but it didn't really cover this thing they're talking <laughs> yeah, about. That's and a it good. Becomes yeah, a grey area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I find that the scopes they definitely need to say what you will do. So one thing we do to help with this, that's a really great point, is that you know you can't write down every potential possible thing that could ever happen mm. within a project, and agree on every what if scenario, right? What we do is when we put together a proposal, we say, this is what we're going to do. This is how many kind of days we might spend on production. And we have a page that's called the assumptions page. Now we put in there every assumption that we've made in producing the quote. So they're things like, we assume that all of the filming locations are going to be within Bendigo, because if they're not, that's going to cost us extra money. It's going to take Mm. take extra time. Yeah. Uh, we assume that um, there's no scripted uh, concept included in this and we're just going to be interviewing someone because that's something that can, you know, maybe they say, oh, can we just voice over this instead of interview it? And if you didn't say, 
that we're going to do an interview-based video, we're just mm. going to do this video about this, then that's a big difference in time and, and energy and resources required to do a, an interview-based video as opposed to coming up with a creative script. So all these kind of things we've worked out are potential big changes that can be made. And we go, this this is what we're assuming. And we communicate that really clearly so that we are on the same page. And when they get into that gray area, they go, they know where our heads are at and we they know what we're expecting. And, you know, you, you'll always get a, a situation where there's some gray area and they come back to you and go, oh, what about this? Or, hey, can we do this? And it's up to you to lead that conversation and go, yes, no, maybe, how much? Uh, even if it's not written down, you have the ability to go, oh, we didn't actually factor that into the budget um, originally. That's a great idea though. Yeah, we could definitely do that. It's going to extend the budget by this much. Yeah, and you, uh, how, many, how often do you find that they actually go, oh, oh actually, don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> right. Another good example lately was someone asked for a, um, a type of, a uh, subtitle file that we'd never done before. And we just use an external provider to, to give us the subtitle file. We give them the video, they give us the subtitle file. But this other type of subtitle had like actions and descriptions of what was happening in it. We'd never encountered it before. And they're like, hey, the comms team have just said, could you deliver this particular file? Now that represented one of our team members going in frame by frame in this oh. video and describing verbally, written, write, writing down what was happening in each frame. And we're like, no, sorry, we, we don't actually do those type of subtitle files. <laughs> Never even heard of it. We can't deliver that. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, no worries. We'll do it internally. Oh, they've just tried to shirk it onto you yeah, to start yes, with. Yes, they have. Yes, they have. Because, you know, that it's extra work they don't want to do. And they're like, well, these guys are doing the video. They may as well just do this for us. It was a kind of a small thing, but we're like, ah, no, sorry. <laughs> you know, that's actually like some people might find that quite awkward saying no as well as a tough, yeah. dis tough, tough discussion to have. Yep. Yeah. And it's, I always try and uh, try and give someone uh, point them in the right direction. If I can't help or if we can't do it, I want to give them an option where they can still achieve what they're trying to achieve. And that's kind of the attitude that underpins every conversation we have is take the subtitle file, for example, I could have done a quick research and see who might be able to achieve that for them. And I could say, look, we don't do that internally, but here's this company and they could probably do it for you. Um, here's the link, check out how much that might cost you. So I've helped them, even though I'm not, I, I'm saying no, but I've still pointed them in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. It's a great way to, um, to like, to be helpful without having to take something on that's outside of your scope or outside of your lane. Yep. Yep. All right, Reese. I've been hanging out to hear this story of yours, uh, this epic fail. I want to hear Reese's epic fail that ended up in the news. Could you tell me this story, please? Oh, mate, no dramas. I, I'll, I'll share another fail uh, <laughs> live on air. So recently we did a, uh, a pride flag on the intersection out the front of the Bendigo Town Hall. Cool. Awesome project. Mm. Absolutely just phenomenal that the, that the city – are getting behind, you know, diverse groups in this way. Um, and we were absolutely stoked to be a part of it. I won't go into too many details, you know, like yeah, 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 yeah. naming and shaming, but basically we did it once mm -hmm. and it failed. Oh, so, dear. Now, look, look, paint the scale of this for me. Like, how are we talking about a tiny little, like, flag on the footpath or what? 
Oh, yeah. So this is at a T intersection on mm. like a pretty busy little causeway in the CBD. Mm. Uh, it's about 40 metres long. Yeah, right. So it's, uh, an, it's not a little flag. That's a big yeah, flag. Yeah, by about 40, 40 to 50 metres long by about 20 metres uh, tall. So it's huge. It's massive. Yeah. Mm. We had a whole team of helpers come out. You know, the community got involved. It was you know, road closures, all, all that kind of so stuff. So it takes up the whole intersection pretty much, the yeah. whole road yeah, uh, yeah. in that section, yeah. Yeah, massive involvement just to get it done as well, like the logistics mm. of it. Now, the next day, the, the road was clo- was um, opened back up again like that night, mm. so maybe a little bit too soon. <laughs> the cars were cruising across it, mm. and the next day we went out to do a media media launch thing and it was visibly torn up like it was there were visibly just car lines running straight through it and uh my heart kind of had that sinking feeling like oh shit what has happened here and that's the I've, i've actually sort of broken it down into a few a few moments in realizing this project was a fail and the the first well the first moment was going oh shit like what has happened and and thinking of all the excuses that you know what was this it was that it was this person's fault it was it was that that was the reason why um and there was a handful of reasons and some were in my control yeah and some were uh somewhat outside of my control so i'm probably at, at that very initial point focusing more on the things that were outside of my control, like yep. that's the reason why, yep. it, why it failed. But at the end of the day, we had to fix it. Like yeah. the council and the organisers came in and said, like, this has to be redone. We've already put X amount of money into it. Yeah. Uh, this isn't like a, this isn't a quality outcome that we need. Yeah. It needs to last longer than a week. So the, yeah, so the issue was you painted this great big flag and then overnight it had kind of degraded via use of cars driving over it. And it's not ideally supposed to do that. No, we've ended up finishing it off pretty well. Oh, God, I'm having a just tough, tough time just even describing <laughs> it, mate. Oh, my God. It's triggering. Bringing back the memories. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was meant to last, you know, it's a it's a road mural, so they're not permanent. Yeah, they yeah, are yeah, temporary. Yeah. Yep. They do cop a lot of wear, but mm. this was an unacceptable amount of wear straight <laughs> off the bat. And we knew that we've done other road murals in the past that have lasted much longer. Right. I had to go through the process of meeting with the council and kind of just taking accountability and that's probably the next stage of this of this project and my realization of you know what there are things I could have done that would have stopped this happening and there is advice that I could have given that mm. I didn't you know that I just assumed was someone else's job to do yeah so I ended up just taking accountability which was which is a hard thing to do but I'm just like yeah look I stuffed up on on a couple of fronts and mm. I'm here to, I'm here to fix it like mate that is exactly the opposite of what i did in my story <laughs> so this is like this is like what what it could have been like like <laughs> yeah. if if i had just owned my part to play uh, cuz there would have been you know would have been elements of it um because you, the tough thing is in your mind you had so many things that you did right Mm. So it's actually like I attribute my uh, thought process around this to a book I read from uh, Gary V. Oh, tell what uh, is it called? Uh, it's the it's about emotional intelligence in business. Oh, that's a good one. That sounds great. Maybe we can. I'll have to get you to read it. We can do a book club discussion on it. Yeah, yes. get Gary V on here to have a chat with us. Yeah, I'll give him a call. No yeah. worries. <laughs> um, but it was talking about yeah, it spoke a lot about accountability and you know 
Wow. If, if, if you just own up to what, how you stuffed up, everything else becomes a lot. People respect that because yeah. they're like, he's not tr- like people who try and shirk the blame and you're like, uh, dude, I know it was your fault. Just yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. just cop it. Just own just it. help me fix it. Yeah. Like, a mistake isn't a problem until you start trying to shirk the blame and pass it around. Um, a mistake is a mistake, you know, it's happened. If you own it, then there's a level of respect that's reciprocated from that, isn't there? They go, all right, sick. He's made a mistake, but he's owned it and he's going to fix it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And uh, owning this mistake cost me money mm. because uh, I had to pay for the new set of materials, mm. uh, which was which was quite a lot. Mm. I had to pay the helpers to come and redo it. Wow! Uh, but it also cost the client because they had to they had to do a few extra steps. Yep. That probably should have been done before. Yep. But you know, doing it a second time around, it it just cost even more. So right, there was a financial thing for everyone, but um. You know, at the and also getting it right the second time round, there was a whole lot of more uh, pressure involved mm-hmm. as well because there was like really something at stake now. Yeah, and we had one specific weekend where it was locked in; it had to be done. Um, but I guess we went through the process a bit more thoroughly and made sure all the steps were taken uh, prior to, as well as like, you know, having the road closed down for long enough to let all the paint cure properly in the uh, winter or sorry, the autumn weather. And the stress of that weekend was just like ridiculous. Like I was just really in yeah. a world of pain on that one. But what was the result? So tell me about how, how it turned out after making the choice to own it and fix it. Like what, what do we see now and, and what's the relationship like with that with the client now yeah well that's that's the that's the main thing and that's why i knew that i had to just cop it sweet and get it done because the client is way more valuable to me than me being like well this wasn't my fault yeah and pissing people off yeah um so we got it right the second time around it worked it's still there. There's no tire tracks on it. There might be a burnout or two, but that's <laughs> probably more to do with Bendigo's Hoon Society than anything else. Yeah, and I have been able to maintain the relationship with the client. Mate, so ultimately a win-win. Uh, other than the the tough, stressful weekend of actually doing the fixing, you've you've worked, uh, you've ended with a, a win-win. Yeah, definitely. And um I guess the other, the next, the next step to that though is like there's also a little bit of damage control on the relationship yep. that has to be done to build up a bit more credibility. So yeah. I'm in that stage now of making sure that I uh, dot all the I's and cross all the T's as mm. best I can for all of my projects with this client, just to make sure that um, I can restore a bit of trust and I'll and I'll make sure I go that extra mile on future projects to to keep them going. Yeah, and that's that's so important all comes down to good communication, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely, yeah. And um, it can be tough, but this is your livelihood. Yeah. If you're if you're an artist or a creative, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, and people want to deal with people that they enjoy dealing with, that give them a good experience. It doesn't matter if you are super, super talented. It's true in nearly every industry and sphere of life. If you're a douchebag and really hard, if you're difficult, even not a douchebag, if you're difficult to work with, you will not be working as much as someone who is easy to deal with who might not be as talented as you are. Yeah, that's totally true. I often at the end of a project go, oh God, that didn't really work out how I thought. I always organise a post-project meeting. Great. So we can go, hey, look, let's check in. How did it go? How could we improve? It's for me to figure out how I could have done better, but it's also for them to like vent any last things, like this should have happened. 
That is so wise. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah, we do that as well. Um, and because that's exactly exactly what you say, if if you have the post-project debrief with them and there you give them space to say, hey, this wasn't so good, this wasn't so good, this wasn't so good, could improve here, then they've told you. They don't need to tell. They don't have that f- nagging feeling yeah. to complain to anyone else. You can, they can, like you can kind of let it go. And yeah. You've got that forum to say, yeah. like, oh, I didn't like this part, and you yep. and you can own it and say, oh, okay, I didn't realise. We won't do that next time. Yes, and that's problem solved, isn't it? Because now they've got the confidence that you understand their experience and the the bad parts, and that if they work with you again, you're probably not going to do it again because you've had a conversation about it, mm. and yet you're not precious about that. You're not like, oh, explaining yourself like oh, it was really this, it was really that you know that's why you just go thank you thank you for giving me that feedback because now i we don't have to do that again Mm, yeah totally and i've also um my perception of like thinking that a project might have not been thinking that this breakdown meeting will be like oh god they're gonna like tell me how it was and you know (laughs) rip me a new one because i think that there's things that didn't go to plan but more often than not, I've had experiences where they go, oh, we, we all challenge, we all face tough times during this project. And I'm probably referring to the last two years of working yep. through COVID. And the, the response is usually like, you know, we're all up against it and you made something happen. And it might not have been exactly as we had planned at the start, but just your energy to problem solve on the fly and make things happen. They appreciate that more mm-hmm. than focusing on what didn't happen. Yep, Totally. All right, Caleb, I want to change the pace here for a second. Bring it. As we wrap this one up, I just want to ask a couple of quick questions, and I think you've got one for me too, so we can get to the crux of a few tips, like what you can do to actually do these things. Improve conversations, have tough conversations well. Yeah, you know, realign it within yourself and how to to get it all sorted. So let's, let's just get into it. What do you actually say when you disagree with a client's creative vision or the inspiration they give you is not really in alignment with, you know, your professional opinion. Good one. Yep. People have ideas that they're absolutely married to and they're like, I think this is a great idea. And you're sitting there going, that is such a terrible idea. Mm. What do you do? So I would say the first thing to remember is that you are the expert at what you do. They are the expert at what they do. They, what whoever they are, they're not a expert creative. They're coming to you for that. So while they uh, may present an idea, they're probably not going to be precious about you going, look, from my experience, I would probably steer away from that. And it's all about those kind of that, that, that type of language. You don't want to go back and say, yeah, no, that's terrible. And some, some clients you built a relationship with, you, you might be able to do that. You go, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. Let's go a different direction. Or from my professional experience, I would say, let's do it a little bit differently. Or you, you know, acknowledge them, go, yeah, that's interesting, but let's maybe take it this direction. And it's all about you taking the lead in that, right? That would be my advice. Take the lead as the expert in what you do. You know about what you do best. So you take the lead, do it nicely and just go, yeah, I don't think so. Let's go, let's go this direction. How about this? And you throw something back that you think will achieve the outcome better. And I suppose that's a good point is what are you, what's the foundation of your creative concepts? Like, are you just like spitballing ideas about any particular thing ever? You need to have some boundaries around what you're actually going to do 
what you're achieving. So you can bring it back to align your feedback to their on their ideas yeah. back to the objective and yeah. you might say, look, that, that could work at some stage, but our objective is this and that I don't see that aligning with that or like I don't see that achieving that objective. The other thing I'll just add to that, Caleb, is okay. as a creative, you have a different set of vocabulary as what a non-creative person, maybe they're corporate or maybe they're in government or maybe yeah. they're in something that's less creative. So don't come at them with, oh, the colour balance doesn't quite match the Art Nouveau stage of, you know, blah, blah, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. They're just going to be like in one ear. Yeah, this is the what other. they're going to hear. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> white noise you know so you just got to think about the vocabulary and, and bring it back to their objectives I think is the good. best way to do that good I've got a question for you so what if you get into a situation and uh, where the client who is not a creative in a creative industry themselves um, they give you some feedback about your work and it's not positive oh doesn't it hurt? Doesn't <laughs> yeah. it just cut you down? You spend all this time yeah. working on this thing. It's it the most creative, beautiful, visionary thing you've ever done. And they're like, well, I just don't like it. <laughs> you know? And you say, oh, why? And they say, I don't I don't know. I just don't like it. I, I just know what I like when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard that before. Oh, shit. Yeah, so. <laughs> what do you do? I used to be really bad at this when I first came out of uni working as a graphic designer and I would really take it to heart and I would probably, more like your story at the start of the episode, kind of fight them on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. These days I go, okay, there's something they don't like and they usually can't articulate it the way I could articulate it. So I'll just dig a bit deeper. You know, you might be like, what kind of feedback is that? So I don't, <laughs> you know, say that to them. I go, okay, well, I just need a bit more information. Like this is an opportunity for us to dial in and, you know, you might not like it, but I don't think it's far away from achieving our objective. So you might not you might not like it exactly, but is this for you? Ah, uh, that's a good one. Like bring it back objective. Like if you've got a clear audience for that piece, you can say – yeah, that's interesting. Let's get some other perspectives on it that are more aligned with who we're trying to target with this or or maybe let's get some other perspectives on it. But well, that can be tricky too because they go, yeah, well, well I already yeah. showed my wife. Uh, <laughs> it can be. You're, you're right. Like, that can be dicey. Oh, damn. Like what's, what does she do? Oh, she's a school teacher. Oh, we're targeting business to business, corporate, yeah. you know, whatever it yeah, might yeah, be. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. so far outside of the scope of these people that they're getting feedback from. True. So I will see it as an opportunity to dig a bit deeper and it takes a bit of, you've got to manage your own ego a little bit here. You just yeah. got to go, look, my job is to get this right and yep. to please this client and to take their money. Yep. So to do that, I'm going to have to keep them happy. And instead of being offended, read between the lines. You know, they might say, I don't like this red colour. And you might go, well, that's a stupid thing to say. <laughs> but maybe it's not the red. Maybe it's where the red is sitting in the picture. Maybe yep. it's, you know, like... There's other things. And as a creative, it's your job to figure out what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. You're the one who should be able to reassemble it and kind of adjust their feedback and come up with solutions. Be like, look, I say, I hear what you're saying, but potentially we could tweak this and this, and then that would reduce, you know, maybe we can change it to orange and it doesn't affect the artwork, <laughs> but it just yep. brings it down and it's, maybe they don't hate red, but they think it's too aggressive. So yeah, they're focusing yeah. on the red yep, without yep, yep. realising why. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. They, I like what you're saying about, you, you know, you as a creative will have the language 
to be able to uh, articulate uh, what goes into a creative work and how to alter it and how what how it should make you feel. So you being the the one in the know should be able to lean in, as you say, and interpret what they're saying and feeling uh, and kind of work out what needs to change or what could change to alter their experience of it. Yeah. Is that pretty pretty yeah, spot on definitely. what you're saying? And just having that conversation, digging a little bit deeper and Good being one. kind in the process, not yep. being offended, uh, yep. it makes a whole world of difference. Good one. All right, mate. Well, let's wrap up with a uh, one last question. It's maybe the third step of this process. You, you're having some tough discussions. Mm. You're trying to stay true to your creative vision because at the end of the day, you want to have something that goes into your portfolio and you know you've had a few tough discussions along the way how can you build and protect the relationship while while having these tough discussions about creativity and the outcomes yeah i suppose you've got to have your eyes on the prize don't you yeah you know what is the what is the win-win situation obviously you mentioned at the start there you you want to have a piece of work that you are proud of ultimately you want to you want to look at your own work and think Gee, that's good. Um, but the client is is wanting something. You know, they they want potentially something different. They don't probably they don't care about your portfolio. They don't care about your creative vision or your you know what where you want to take it. They they're looking for a specific outcome, and that's why they're engaging you to to help them achieve it. So you you need to find a way forward to that win win situation, and that may look like compromising a little bit. It may look like altering your plans and the picture you've got in your mind of what this, what this thing's going to look like. But your objective, ideally, for a really good win-win situation is to is to provide a, a great experience for the person you're dealing with and to achieve what they were hoping to achieve, uh, even though it could look different than, than what you originally planned. It, it's, it's finding that way forward no matter what, taking a step forward no matter what, not getting stuck. Yeah, I find that utilising the skills and the knowledge of your clients can lead to better projects. Yeah. So you might go, oh, that's that's I don't really want to do it that way. But at the end of the day, if you're utilising their experience and knowledge and taking it on board, it will probably lead to a better, more successful project for everyone. Yeah. Even if it isn't quite as cinematic as yeah. what you would imagine. Look, that's humility right there. Like not, not being too proud to, and too precious about your own ideas and thoughts and needing to be the one who comes up with everything. You know, even, even though someone, your client may not be an artist, may not be a videographer, they still have value as a person, as a, as they have still creative thoughts that they can bring to the table and just positioning, positioning yourself in that place of uh, including the other person could lead to something really great. Caleb, thanks for having a great chat with me. Well, no worries. You're welcome. Love it. Until next time. Thanks, mate. See you later. Here's hoping that's given you some useful hints as to how you might have those difficult conversations in your own creative careers for some successful outcomes. You have been listening to Country Creatives with Caleb Maxwell and Reese Hendy. My name's Amy and I produce the show with support from the Emporium Creative Hub. 
You can visit the show notes at emporiumcreativehub.com.au slash podcast and you'll find links to things such as the book that Reese mentioned during today's episode there as well as all of our previous episodes if you want to revisit anything. A new episode will be dropping in the next fortnight and until then, stay healthy, stay creative and we'll see you soon.